Hey, welcome back to the DC Beer Show. Richard and Adam, the Brew Daddies, are here with you today. And uh, we're in Columbia, Maryland. We're at Sapwood Cellars. We're here with Scott Janish. Hey, Hello. Scott. And Michael Tonsmeyer. Perfect pronunciation. Nice to be here. Glad to have you both. So, um, Sapwood Cellars is a relatively new brewery uh, on the scene uh, in the grand scheme of things. And you're approaching this from a way we haven't seen before, which is you guys each have sort of a, a, an area that you're specializing in, and you're bringing them together in this brewing environment. So um, tell us a little bit about how, how Scott, you brought this, the, the, the hoppy IPA side of this, and Michael, you br- you're bringing this, uh, this sour beer and, and, and fermentation uh, approach and, and barrel aging approach to this, and how you guys have brought this, are bringing this together. Sure. I guess it, it kind of starts to um, going back to when we first started talking about Sapwood. Um, I w- met with um, Mike when I was thinking about uh, writing a book on hop forward beers. Of course, he wrote American Sour Beers, so I wanted to get his take on you know the whole book writing process and um, just get his opinion on if I should go forward to write a book. And then during those conversations, we started talking about Sapwood. So that's kind of how the, the, the two of us um, collided on that. But in terms of doing both hoppy and sour beers in-house. Um, we both were doing um, sour beers at home. We're both doing hoppy beers at home. Um, of course, I was probably doing more hoppy beers, and, he, and Mike was doing more, more sour beers. Um, and so we just felt it would be great for us to kind of combine what we thought were our, our specialties and, and really just kind of nail those styles. Um, that's a lot of what we do here is basically those two things. We throw in some other beers um, just, you know, to to try to give everyone a beer that they like, but predominantly that's, that's our focus. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we originally talked, um, cause we both wrote uh, homebrewing blogs and I'd done a thing on hop chemistry and I'd put together sort of a spreadsheet and we tossed some emails back and forth and had some beers at DC homebrewers meetings over the years. And I would always look for Scott's beers. He would show up with them in like a, a insulated flask kind of thing that was right. easy to recognize. <laughs> Um, and I would always look for him because he would he would always have these fantastic IPAs. I remember you did one early on with like flake quinoa or something like that that was just out of control, great mouthfeel, super bright, fresh, hoppy aroma that four or five years ago it was hard to find a really great IPA unless you were traveling somewhere or, or whatever. Yeah, and I, well, thanks for the compliment. Yeah. But yeah, and I, we've always kind of thought that homebrewers sort of have an advantage when it comes to making fresh, hoppy beers like that because you control the whole process. It's staying cold the whole time. It's staying at home. Um, and, we're, do- and that's really hopefully the advantage we now have at this brewery is almost none of our beer leaves the tasting room. And we started recently um, doing some limited can releases. But for the most part, it's a lot easier to have a good reputation when people are drinking beer that is 25 feet from where it was brewed, um, particularly right. these hazy IPAs right. that are so sensitive to oxidation and, and just time. Right. Well, speaking of beer, let's talk a little bit about the one we are enjoying right now, because it is a hoppy beer, uh, and it's actually uh, a collaboration beer with DCBeer.com. It's called 3.8 Special, and, uh, you know, I'm a sentimental fool, so I'm digging this. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Yeah, for the last few years, I've been obsessed with the idea of doing really low-alcohol IPAs. Um, I I recently learned uh, my father has the same affliction I do. If we're sitting in a restaurant and they come around and refill the water, both of us will drink half a gallon of water. Not even realize mm-hmm. it, just there's something in the cup, I want to keep drinking it. And with beer, 
that's dangerous when you've got an 8% double IPA or, or what we're releasing soon, an 11% triple IPA, um, because just one or two of those glasses is, you know, you're probably over the legal limit. And having something that has as much flavor and body and aroma in a limited alcohol package just means I get to drink more of it. And that's really, to me, the goal. It's I'm much more impressed by beers that drink bigger than they are, that are more flavorful, more aromatic, have a better body, rather than one that hides its alcohol. There's a skill in making a 19% imperial stout that is easy to drink and smooth and doesn't taste hot. Right. But, but it's kind of, to me, like brewing Budweiser. It's like a, an impressive technical achievement, but honestly not one that I go out of my way to have because... Why have an 18% beer that tastes like a 9% beer when I can have two 9% beers? Right. Or better yet, three 6% beers that tasted as good as that 9% beer. Yeah, well, this beer absolutely has an amazing hop aroma. It's got a body that won't quit. <laughs> but it's true. It's like it has the body of a much, much more robust IPA. Definitely does. Flavor and body, I think, yeah. of a more robust IPA. So yeah. Well yeah, done. We, and as, yeah. as Mike was saying, I mean, it is um, it, it, it is a little more challenging to brew a beer like this. I mean, you have to use the, the right yeast strain that kind of leaves a little bit of sweetness. You kind of have to build in a little more malt character than you otherwise would in, like, an IPA or especially a double IPA. Um, you can load up the hot side a little bit more with, with hops to try to get some more of the um, hop-drive mouthfeel compounds in. Yeah. But at um, a lower temperature so you don't get too much bitterness yep, to overwhelm. Exactly. Um, we snuck a little rye into this one because rye's got beta-glucans and all these mouthfeel-positive things. Right. Uh, we use Golden Promise, the Scottish uh, pale malt, for the base. We usually use mostly just American Two-Row because that's got more malt flavor pound for pound. A lot of really low-alcohol beers just have so little malt that they just taste watered down. And mm-hmm. um, having a beer that, you know, you need some malty flavor to support those hops, even though hops are what uh, pay the bills these days. Yeah, and it's definitely a great great beer to have around in July, you know. It's, well, it's yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a, to, to be able to drink 3.8%, you know, four of these sitting by the pool or... You know, sitting by the beach (laughs) Um, or, you know, just having a barbecue in the backyard where normally it's like, okay, we're, you know, I'm going to I'm going to drink an American Pilsner or, you know, something like that because I'm going to be drinking for a while. Um, But to be able to have something this flavorful with 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 pine notes and 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 and, and all of these flavors and so much body, which is actually a good thing when you're drinking when you're session drinking body slows you down you know so beer that's too light you will pound like it's water and sure if you have five of them even if they're four percent alcohol (laughs) five of them will will add up but slowing down and and really enjoying a beer with body like this i think it's is really good and so nice technical achievement gentlemen it's really really tasty we've we've been happy and it's sold pretty well we're always worried that people do that alcohol math where they go Mm -hmm. this is the same price as our pale ale at five and a half percent alcohol because honestly, it costs just as much to brew. I mean, sure, it's a hundred dollars less malt, but over the course, you know, right? Oh yeah, you get five thousand pours out of it. It's not much money, and we use Vic Secret, which is thirty bucks a pound these days, and um, you know, it takes just as much time and just as much effort and just as much tank space. And luckily, people have been pretty into it. Well, that's that's good. It's, it's I always do the alcohol math, but I do it on the reverse because I drink so much beer yeah. um, that it's like I can't walk in and know that I've got if I'm going to drink an eight percent beer i'm going to drink one eight percent beer and that's it so you know having starting at a 3.8 and then going to a six and then going to an eight that's a lovely evening and i'll call it done (laughs) 
And that's that's honestly, we don't do sample flights here, but we do half pours, and they're always exactly half the price of a full pour because we don't want to incentivize anyone to have to drink right. a 14-ounce pour of the 9% red wine grape-infused double IPA we have on. Hey, have a half pour if you like it. Have a second half pour. Don't, no reason to commit to something big, um, but would also rather not have that, you know, six six flight of little tiny glasses that don't really end up uh, giving you a great expression of the beer. And you have a sample flight. By the time you get to the last one, it's flat and warm. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. You're drinking yeah. out of the little tiny cups. So you don't get much aroma out of yeah, it. Yeah, you right. can't really spin those around and get your nose in them, the tiny little glasses. So that's kind of, I, I appreciate having a bigger glass that's, you know, a wine-shaped glass that is actually made to push the aroma out and you can spin it and smell it. That's That's funny. We've... Yeah, we were talking before about the fact that we saw that you don't do the tasters and read the article on your blog about... Oh, the untapped... Uh, yeah, the un- yeah, yeah. yeah, the untapped article. And I thought that was interesting take on tasters. And so, so is that the reason that you're not doing the tasters? Because you can't really get the full taste. Yeah, and we've, we've had... Um, partly it's nice not to have to deal with um, cleaning and filling taster flights. Um, you end up, bartenders hate them because someone comes up and they says, oh, kind okay, of this, 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 that, and this. And by the time they get all of those poured and which one is which and somebody doesn't know what they're drinking and that six glasses you have to clean and it's, it's a real pain. Um, but a lot of our beers need, need some time. And we've had people who come in, complain that they can't get a sample flight. They'll get a half pour of something. They'll kind of be meh on it at first. And then by the time they're done with their seven ounces they'll order another one because it, it, some of these beers take time to grow on you. Um, I think yeah. there's such a push now for beers that wow in a tasting flight or in a, a festival setting or at a bottle share where you can have two sips of the, again, the quadruple IPA with 19 pounds of dry hopping per barrel or whatever it is that knock you on your, on your face, but no one really wants to drink a whole one of because it's more of a, a wow beer and we try to do most of our beers, even even the, the eight nine percent ones that are drinkable and balanced enough that you could have a whole one if you can stomach uh, that much alcohol. Yeah, well, I think it's, it's it's something I've complained about personally, not on the show, but personally for a while. Is that you just did? Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> now I am. I'm bringing it on the show. Yep. Thanks, thanks to you guys. We've talked about it quite a bit. You know, there's beers that you try that you're like, well, this is great for three ounces. Yeah. But, yeah, I wouldn't want to have 12 ounces or 16 ounces of this. And there's also beers that we've had in tasters that you just, you're like, this isn't as good yeah. as I think it should be. Yeah. And it's because the aroma isn't being presented the way it should be. Um, and so and I, I really, I really. Yeah. And sometimes it just takes a while to really get a sense of what a beer is. I mean, yeah. I, you could argue that even seven ounces isn't enough to truly taste the beer. I mean, if you sit with a with a full pour for a while and really kind of analyze it and think about it, it's probably going to change a little bit as you're drinking it, or it, you'll be reminded of a something, a descriptor, something midway through. And so, I, I think it's it's better to have a little bit more and to sit down with it a little longer and appreciate it than to just have a little sample when you have five other glasses in front Mm -hmm, of you that mm -hmm. are calling your name and it's hard to really focus on that one in front of you it's kind of like if you go to a a bottle share and there's a whole bunch of these amazing bottles open you can't really appreciate the one you're tasting because you're like i I know what's coming up (laughs) (laughs) right yeah yeah yeah. this is fine this is good this is good i like this and then at the end you're like well i can't remember what i just had yeah so yeah yeah yeah. and it's definitely a um 
the beers that most people are making, I think, really do have to have that time to, to breathe. The first sip doesn't taste exactly like the last sip. And so that journey, I think, is, is, is one of the great things about beer, just in, in drinking 14 ounces of a beer. All right, we should move on. <laughs> <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about influences on your beer brewing and beer styles, especially coming from home brewing into uh, professional brewing? Sure. I mean, uh, for me, I, I was lucky enough as um, part of the book that I just wrote that came out, I was, I was lucky enough to go around the country and interview some of the brewers that I um, respected the most um, and whose beers I appreciate the most. And they were able to sit down with me and, and describe their whole process. I mean, from start to finish, how they're making um, hazy, hoppy beers, that's what the focus of the book was. So for, for me as a home brewer, that was, that was a big influence. And, and honestly, um, as we were getting started here brewing hoppy beers, we took a lot of that and put it into practice um, on, the, on the big scale. So that was definitely an influence for me. Yeah, it's very similar. I, mean, I look at running American Sour Beers is very much my master's course in, in sour beer and brewing because I got to talk to Lauren Salazar from New Belgium and Ron Jeffries from Jolly Pumpkin and Will from Cambridge and... Uh, Jason Perkins from Allagash and all these fantastic brewers who were doing sour beer before it was cool, before it was a moneymaker, when they were dumping a lot of beer, when they were really figuring things out. Um, and really, yeah, I mean, I think to me, drinking beer is always the biggest inspiration. Um, and and being friends with uh, people like Nathan Zender, longtime uh, right proper brewer, um, and people like that who just like really care about beer. They care about not only the flavor, but the story behind it. Um, I think that's a big thing for us where we're coming from sort of a blogging writing background is it's not just about making a beer that tastes good in the glass, but it's about like, why did we do this? And we just bought 200 pounds of local sour cherries where a lot of brewers might just buy a puree or, or a natural flavoring or something like that. I'm not guaranteeing it's going to taste better than that. I think the odds are better it will taste better from using a local real product, but it's also, um, I, I care about the ingredients and it's a cooler photo. Scott took this great shot with the local orchards, uh, is it blaggers, bloggers? Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know how to pronounce them. They're up, up a little bit north of here. Um, it's a lot cooler photo. It's a better story. It's going to have a more interesting flavor, um, more unique, more yeah, of the I mean, place. Yeah, I mean, a, a beer like that, um, you know, we've already committed so much time to i mean it's it's you brew it usually ferment it in stainless move it over to barrels it sits in barrels for nine or ten months then it sits with fruit for another two months um i went out to get the fruit and i'm I'm waiting for the truck to come back straight from the field that that just picked the 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 cherries and then you bring them home put them on the beer that same day they were picked i mean it's for a beer that you know, we, we, yeah, we'll, everything we've done. We'll get 120 done, gallons of it Yeah, or exactly. But that's, that's the point on those because you don't need a lot of them because you, you can sit on them for a long time. And it's one of those bottles you can open and share with friends or, or family. And, you know, f- three years from now, you can open it and yeah. it'll I, be I a think, little different. So. I think that's the great synergy of doing the hoppy beers, which we really needed to be in business for the last nine months. Um, the sour beers that we were putting into barrels last fall are just now being ready to fruit or blend or package um, we just bottled the first uh, Sauvignon Blanc uh, barrel-aged saison with a uh, number of Brett strains, and that's now bottle conditioning. And so, I mean, it'll, it'll be about a year from, that was one of the first batches we brewed in August, 
and it'll probably be released just a little bit before its one-year anniversary, and that's young for a real mixed fermentation sour beer. Which which has been kind of funny as as we opened up, because, of course, with, with Mike's reputation, people come in and they're like, where are you guys' sour beers? I thought you were you were the sour beer. It's like, <laughs> it know, was like opening weekend yeah, too. They, we had like these, a sa- we had one mixed fermentation saison. These things and, take take yeah. time. <laughs> well, speaking of saisons, we're trying a saison right now, aren't we? No, yeah. is, is this what yep. we're trying? Okay, yeah, yeah this is our. <laughs> we we're not particularly creative name wise, and so we do a lot of series. We have the Cheater Hops IPA series, uh, and this is our house saison series. And each one we've done with a different sort of secondary grain. The first one was wheat. Then we did spelt, and this one is buckwheat, Ooh, uh, which buckwheat. I think most people would know from pancakes. It has Scott described it as sort of like almost a butterfingers kind of like as, as the raw grain or yeah. as the grain itself, not not necessarily in the glass, but just smelling the grain prior to going into the mash. Yeah, and buckwheat uh, has a lot of interesting sort of fatty acids uh, like caprolic acid, which capro like Capricorn goat, um, but can be converted into fruity esters by Brettanomyces. Ethyl caproate is a super pineapple-y kind of thing. Um, we also use Calypso hops, and honestly, these are the fun things to me because they're kind of the overlap between the sciency hop side that Scott has and the sour side. Do you want to talk a little yeah. bit about why we chose Calypso? Calypso is fun because it's just it's one of those hops that um, when I was doing research for the book, and a lot of a lot of the book is just heavily focused on am- academic papers. Um, Calypso is one of those hops that have a whole bunch of bound compounds, meaning if you were just to add that hop to the beer post fermentation. Mm-hmm. Um, all those flavors are bound and aren't going to be released into the beer. Okay. Um, and if you were to put that in during the whirlpool, so you're pushing in those hop compounds into the fermenter, um, during fermentation, especially when Brett's involved, you can release some of those compounds and sort of get more bang for your buck with that hop. Um, so it's, it's fun to, to take some of the science that's on paper and, and try to experiment with it. Um, so you, you have a reason for adding these ingredients at certain times versus just kind of throwing in whatever you have. Yeah. And it helps us because we don't do core beers. We're, we're in that new school where it's like, hey, we'll always have a pale ale on. We'll always have an IPA on. But it's not going to be the same one. But that really gives us that room to try these things out that we aren't sort of locked into, well, we need to order 1,000 pounds of Columbus for the hot side. No, like, hey, 2017 Calypso's on sale for five bucks a pound. Get a pack, Let's throw it in a saison. It. Let's see if it works out well. Um, and that's hopefully, I mean, I'm not going to say that we were making you know, world-class beer month one or, or year one for that matter. Um, but the way we're going to get better is by experimenting, by trying things out. Because mm-hmm. to me, science is never like in a vacuum. It's not like, well, this is a better beer because it has uh, more uh, four, uh, what? You four know, MNP four, or yeah. whatever. Choose your compound. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it, the science might suggest, hey, you could try this or, hey, that might explain why this worked, but not, it's not an end in and of itself. Yeah. It can inspire new ideas. Yeah. It can inspire new process tweaks. Yeah. Um, right. and, and if it works, keep doing it and then just keep building on that. Yeah. And if it doesn't, Drop Scratch it. it and do do something else next right. time. Yeah, so you, you also something. had a beer that you used uh, wine yeast for. Mm-hmm. Do you do a lot of that kind of experimentation as well with different yeasts? Yeah, we we have a sort of a house English strain we use for most of our hoppy stuff that we get from a lab in Virginia. Um, but otherwise, like this saison was brewed with a culture that I had been repitching at home for four or five years. Um, it started some commercial cultures and some isolates from uh, a friend of mine, Jason Rodriguez, and I just kept harvesting it from a batch and adding it to another batch and uh, eventually got good enough. I sent a sample over to Bootleg Biology, uh, which is run by Jeff Mello, who used to be a local guy before he moved down to Nashville. 
um, and they streaked it out and selected it. It's now available for home brewers as the mad fermentationist saison uh, blend. Um, but yeah, we we've done a bunch of wine yeast stuff. We've every single we've got about forty barrels filled. Each one of those has a unique culture that we. Um, either cultured from uh, microbes that came from commercial sour uh, beers or from labs. Um, really, the, the whole name of the game for us is variety. Um, figuring out what we can do to give our beers more definition, more variation. We're looking for the day when we might have five or ten different sour beers and bottles available. You come in, our fantastic bar staff can talk to you, hey, you like sour beer, you said that, but do you mean lightly tart or do you mean sucking on a lemon? Um, <laughs> and the goal is to have beers that can be along that spectrum and that you can really come here and have an experience and be guided through by knowledgeable, a knowledgeable staff. Um, that's getting harder and harder to find when these beer bars have 100 beers on tap. I, I can't blame a bartender for not having any idea other than, you know, two quick descriptors of, you know, what, what that beer might be like and... Here, hopefully, it's a little bit more concentrated, and mm-hmm. um, our staff being, you know, fantastic. I'm, I'm sure we'll uh, grow as we keep adding more and more beers. Well, that's, a, I think, a good lead way into maybe tell us a little bit about your brewery setup sure. and your equipment. and what Yeah, you have. we have a 10-barrel um, setup here. Um, most, 310 gallons. Three, yep, and most of that is um, goes into 10-barrel fermenters, so we have... Um, two 10-barrel fermenters, a 15-barrel fermenter that is dedicated just for um, sour beers. Um, the idea being you don't want any cross-contamination. We don't want any bread or, or lacto or anything f- weird going on in our clean, hoppy beers, especially once we, uh, if we start canning here, that would be even more important. Yeah. Um, and then we also have a 20-barrel fermenter where we can brew um, twice in one day. We fill that up, and that's typically... What we do with like our double IPAs, which is what I just um, sat down for you guys, our um, latest 100% Mosaic double IPA. Ooh, let's go there. <laughs> <laughs> this is a fun one. We, we, like I said, it's all uh, Mosaic on the cold side. Um, we used all three forms of Mosaic that we could get. So we have uh, Mosaic extract, um, uh, CO2 extract, I believe it yep. was. And then mosaic lupulin which is a concentrated form of of hops where you kind of remove most of the vegetal material and you're just left with the um, lupulin powder or the lupulin which is where all the oils um, are so you're getting less of the grassy kind of characters you can characteristics you can get with the hop but more of the flavors Um, and then we also threw in traditional mosaic pellets so it's kind of a we hit it with three different forms of of mosaic so it's 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 kind of funny it creates more complex mosaic flavor yeah, that's a, that's a lot of flavor. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of flavor in a beer. Yeah, and what, when we do these double batches, usually because we don't distribute much beer, we don't necessarily want 17 or 18 barrels of this mm. beer in kegs. And yeah. so we'll often take, uh, do 10 barrels straight as is. And then in this case, we added some Lembrusco wine juice and created a new, different, weird take on double IPA Ooh, that's bright yeah. red and has big fruity flavors. Yeah, it, was, and it was kind of a risk because uh, m- most people will do a double IPA with um, co-fermented with wine juice or wine grapes. It's typically mm-hmm. uh, white wine. White wine is more of a IPA type yeah. flavors. Right. It has a lot bringing. of the same aromatics, yeah. a lot of the same compounds even. Yep. And then, of course, you can't, your, your beer will probably be paler, if mm-hmm. anything. Um, we're here, we, we tried to like really, 
a lot of people will say mosaic is kind of a blueberry note. Um, I don't always get that, but when we were doing kind of test um, concoctions just to see if this idea would work, a little bit of red wine juice or wet red wine with mosaic was really blueberry to us. Yeah. Um, so it was fun to really play on that, um, create a beer that looks more like hibiscus tea yeah, right, than it does, yeah. um, you know, a, a pale double IPA. <laughs> it was a fun idea. It turned, it turned out pretty well. Yeah. Nice. And, and that's sort of it. Like, I, I've got nothing against taking the easy, like, we have a bourbon barrel imperial stout on now. Like, we're not against, like, the obvious delicious flavors <laughs> we've had, vanilla and orange zest and, and grapefruit zest. But it's fun sometimes to do those ideas that aren't something everyone has done. Sure. That, hey, yeah. you're putting yourself out there a little bit. You're trying something weird. It might hit. It might miss. But at least you're um, helping to tell people, hey, we're not just jumping on a bandwagon. We've got our own ideas. Um, there aren't that many new ideas left out there. But Yeah, it's well, kind of funny. One of our uh, good uh, friends and brewers that does a lot of wine kind of stuff like this, when we told him we're doing red, he said, what, good luck? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What does he know that we don't know yet? <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it, like you said, there's not, a lot of, there's not a lot of new ideas out there. And, and I've been seeing, at least, and I think, Adam, you'd say the same, it's, there's, there's a, almost a bifurcation in what brewers are doing. There's the... The, the breweries often more focused on distribution who are like, people want hazy IPAs? We're making hazy IPAs. Uh, and then there's the brewers that are more like what you guys are doing, which is not really focused on distribution. It's focused on the, a taproom experience and it's focused on experimentation who are trying to push the envelope and find that thing that's going to be the next hazy IPA. Maybe even not intentionally, but just like playing and experimenting and 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 that's I think where all the new ideas have to come from. It's not going to come from the distribution breweries who they're looking for where are consumers going. You know, yeah. two years ago it was all like, oh crap, we need to make sour beers. Yeah. Right? Well, and it's also just when you're doing something like that, you it's not just experimentation. You you have to create a very shelf stable product. Oh, that's yeah, um, that's and true, it's yeah. one that you can't really control once it leaves your doors. You know, you don't know if it's being stored at. 70 degrees or you know it's so there's a whole lot that goes into distribution that we're um margins are a lot tighter margins mm-hmm. yes yeah, is another thing but it's good that there you can pick and choose that you can you can open a brewery and say this is we want to go in this direction we want to go in that direction and the, it's different but it means that there's there's some of you folks out there who are really focused on this experimentation and there are others who are out there focused on making sure that when I need to pick up a six pack I can get a six pack of really good craft beer yeah. that's going to be the quality that I expect it to be. So In which we still hundred percent appreciate. Yeah. I still yeah, like absolutely. going out and getting a six pack of something that I really enjoy. Yeah. Or, um, or more, just, more more likely than not enjoy when other brewers show up with a six pack yeah, of something for I, us to enjoy. I will say <laughs> that was the one thing I was not expecting when we opened a brewery is how much beer would come to us you know it's like <laughs> it's really? great. We, we've got a fridge back there that just like sometimes we get in trouble because it's like well somebody just dropped off some beer and we have nowhere to put it wow that's funny i mean it's, we'll just we, we have a special fridge for the staff that will stock with beer that they can take home with them or whatever that's funny speaking of having too much beer are either of you still home brewing <laughs> i you know it's just it at this point it takes about the same amount of time to brew 300 gallons as it does to brew, <laughs> five, to brew five or ten. And so if we're going to spend the time doing it, we might as well do it here. Right. But we can sort of homebrew here. So what, what we like to do is we, most of our homebrew gear is here. 
Um, if we brew 300 gallons, we can, before we pitch the yeast, we can um, siphon off five gallons into our um, homebrew carboys, pitch experimental yeast, um, dry hop with experimental varieties, keg them in our homebrew kegs. And um, so it, it's kind of like you're homebrewing, but we're just kind of taking the wort we're already doing. Yeah, I was going to ask you about brewing. that. Are you doing what I will call micro-experimentation? You know, like, are you yeah. just like, we're going to make, you know... Whole, Let's do it live. Yeah. <laughs> no, but but you, so you guys are sort of just small batching experimenting. It's a little bit Yeah. Yeah, I mean, part of it for us is that we really have this focus on sour beers and hoppy beers, and so we're not knocking out beers that where the malt changes all that much. Mm-hmm. I mean, every mm-hmm. once in a while, we've got a red ale on right now that was based on a red ale I brewed at home three or four years ago. Um, but we're not really dialing in that kind of recipe that often. Yeah. Um, I, it really helps that we both, between us, we probably brewed, 450, 500 batch of the homebrew over the, the 10, 10 or 15 years before we opened the brewery. And, and luckily... We've we, got deep, deep archives. And, and, and luckily, we rewrote about most of those batches. Right. So when we're, when yeah. we're sitting There's around... so many times. <laughs> yeah, we're sitting around in, in the back trying to, you know... Like, hey, Scott, have you ever done Galaxy and Nelson yeah, together? Yeah, so I have to Google myself, of all things, and, and read it. Oh, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, but it's super helpful. It, that turned out to be a... Very positive thing. A fringe benefit yeah. of uh, writing of, for of, no no profit for the last 10 years. Yeah. That's great. So That's have, are any of those recipes on your respective blogs? Yeah. Recipes you've used in the brewery? Yeah. yeah I mean, tweak, tweaked with, because, you know. Definitely. When well, we tweaked, were, yeah, yeah, I mean, what what I was brewing five years ago is, is not what I would sell to someone today. Yeah. So kind of take what we know now, but what did we think about the hops. What do we think about the hop combination then? That that would probably hold true today. Yeah. So we can kind of use that as the um, the base for like a hop build. But then you know what have we learned with grains or dry hopping temperatures, yeah. things like that? What we adjust. I but. mean, it also depends. We're we're about to brew. I uh, about twelve years ago now. I brewed a clone of uh, Courage Rush Imperial Stout with Britannomyces, and it was my sort of habit. I I put them all at my parents' house, and I'd go up there for Christmas every year and open up one bottle as sort of my Christmas treat. It was real good. We we're going to do 10 barrels of a similar recipe. I mean, actually, almost identical recipe. Um, the only issue is the Brett strain is now out of production and no longer banked by the uh, the yeast lab. So I'm, I'm about to start trolling Milk the Funk's uh, Facebook group to see if anyone has a, has a, a stock at home. Um, but yeah, and there, there are definitely times where we just take something that's almost letter for letter. But yeah, more often than not, it's hey, this worked, but that didn't, or yeah. we were both pretty good at making notes like, hey, if I was going to brew this again, I might X or Y change this, up that, um, and sort of doing that sort of adjusted version. Nice. There's one more thing that I want to make sure that, that we talk about so that folks know about, and that is that you guys do do things here in terms of letting people come in and be a part of the process that, that we don't see very often in other breweries. So you do, uh, you do custom sours and hoppies and you do you, you, you let people come in and join you for blending sessions so tell us a little bit about some of those things both what they are and and how folks can get involved but also like where you came up with these ideas sure and we we there's sort of like different levels of that so we've done um i i did a youtube video where we brewed snip snap our citra galaxy double ipa on the big system and a couple days later i'd saved ingredients from the malt the hops brewed the exact same thing on my homebrew gear. And then on a Sunday, hey, we put them both on tap and said, hey, pick your favorite. And we had sort of that unbiased, hopefully, um, you know, input from people like, am I a bear homebrewer or am I a bear craft brewer? Um, and we've done events with people like Vigilante Coffee, um, bringing in just serving as an excuse to do like coffee IPAs and coffee wheat beers and coffee stouts too. 
Um, and those are just sort of ticketed events, and we sort of you know advertise them. And yeah, they're great. They're the learning experience, hopefully for um, the people that buy a ticket, and then they are for us as well. When you team up with an expert in a, in a different field, and yeah, and Scott and, and I'm sorry, what was the roaster's name? Franklin. Franklin. Uh, both talked, and so it wasn't just sort of tasting the beer. There's an educational component, and. Yeah. Uh, but then, yeah, we also have all sorts of fun things. I actually just emailed uh, this morning a guy who uh, his wife for Christmas bought him a blending day with us. And we finally have enough beers that we can actually. What's a blending day? Tell me, um, tell me, tell me what that entails. Sure. Like, what's this guy going to get? Uh, this will be the first one we do. So it, it, it's a little up in the air. The idea was that um, he would actually be able to sit with us and taste, in this case, probably the four dark saisons we brewed uh, last fall. I'm sorry, the four barrels of dark saison we have aging from last fall. Um, and work with us to make that final blend that will be packaged. Um, he'll get a couple of bottles of the final beer, but we're also probably just going to be pulling some samples from barrels. Um, we're getting to that great mid-Atlantic fruit season, so mm-hmm. which of these barrels might go on to white nectarines? Which of these barrels might we blend with the cherry beer we already have aging? Um, we're certainly going to, you know, like, hopefully he's sort of a, a beer nerdy guy and he's you know int- going to be interested in hearing about what was in the recipes or you know yeah. whatever else cool i'm a yeah. little jealous i gotta talk to my <laughs> wife about this yeah i know yeah we've, the the custom beers should be if, if anyone wants to get in on you know making their own sour beer it's you know sort of ultimate bragging rights um to have a beer that you know you are the sole owner of we won't sell any bottles of it and you can you know whether it's whether it's for trading or for cellaring or for sharing uh an opportunity to have something that uh, you know is, is suited to your tastes, you know, perfectly. Well, I have one more question. Sure. So, as a home brewer myself, the dream is always to open a brewery. Does the reality meet the dream? I, Having done it, yeah. Yeah, I would say yes. Um, it's it's funny because yeah, you won't when you dream about it. You kind of dream about the brewing you, you dream about the uh the fun stuff um you don't <laughs> yes, you don't you dream do. about the uh, long Be- being hours here at 10 p.m finishing up cleaning a tank because i'm going to be in at 7 a.m the next day to get you know to get brewing into it or whatever yeah <laughs> but i think that you kind of go in knowing that that's that's going to happen and yeah um, P- particularly the way we went about it we didn't take out any big loans we don't have any you know venture capitalist investment and so we particularly until very recently, did we cleaned every keg, we scrubbed every tank, we brewed every drop of beer. We now have a, a part-time uh, cellarman who, who helps us out for the short term before mm-hmm. he starts his own brewery. But um, that's taken some weight off our shoulders. Yeah. But, you know, just bottling a thousand bottles of Sauvignon Blanc Saison is, you know, eight hours of work for three people. I mean, it's it's not a dream job uh, every moment <laughs> of every day. But on the other hand, we're, we're you know, having a blast uh, employing people you people are coming to us to to have fun i mean that's yeah. that's a fun thing and, it, and it, i used to stare at a computer screen yeah. for you know eight hours a day and i would say 100 percent. this is this is better yeah so. oh, and, and particularly i i think it really helps who the reputation we have because every week and particularly now that particularly scott's book is out we'll be in the back doing something and one of the bartenders will come back and be like scott somebody just bought your book they're here from montreal they want to say hi to you and have you sign it um, nice. <laughs> it's probably not yeah. the experience of a shift brewer at a big brewery. You know, that, it's a unique position that we're yeah. in, in in many ways. And you guys did this without, so no venture capital, no investment. It was just no. Our, our parents, savings. both both of our parents kicked in some sure. money, and we kicked okay. in some money, and we did everything real cheap. 
um, partly because we got this fantastic space that was already partially built out and partially because we were willing to keep our desk jobs for a year and a half while this was while we were figuring out trademarks and logos and but it, business plans. But and, it did get um, a little because we were operating yeah. at such small margins, it did, did get pretty tight. Um, and thankfully, I mean, we this is part of the reason we love our, our club members so much <laughs> is they really bailed us out. So we did um, two three clubs essentially we had a founders club which is a combination of the other two clubs which is you know a hop club and a sour club essentially um and so those pretty much the founders club sold out in the first day which was amazing to me and then um the wood and the sap clubs over time based um, sold out but that was you know upfront money people were giving us Right. Had never tasted yeah. our the, beer. The people before. in the wood club still haven't gotten anything. It's almost been a year. Yeah. Oh wow. Wow. Um, so I mean, but that that's was the way, a, that's the way. That's yeah. That's, that they should have expected. Yeah. That. That's, so that's so. the way barrel aging goes. Right? So it was a lot of trust in, in us, <laughs> but, and, yeah. and it it helped us out by you know helping us pay rent for two months while we weren't open. And, yeah. Um, when, and just having that that buffer that hey like we could just buy the hops for this batch, or we could get a slightly better price and get a little extra, or we could. Get get an extra tank for the sour beers that we didn't strictly need day one. Right, right. You know, just a couple of those things that it helped us sleep at night. It helped us, yeah, not not uh, make bad decisions or you know whatever. And then we knew there were at least what 150 people that were going to come buy our beer eventually. <laughs> yeah, that's the deal. When, when, you, when you give people a dollar off every pour, like what's the worst that they can do? Drink 500 <laughs> pours over the course of a year. I mean, right. mar- margins on draft beer in the tasting room are pretty good. You know, we're still we're still doing okay selling a five dollar pour to somebody. That's awesome. Well, listen, uh, thank you both uh, so much for being here. We're at Sapwood Cellars. We're talking to Scott Janish, the author of The New IPA, Scientific Guide to Hop Aroma and Flavor, and the co-owner of Sapwood Cellars, and also Michael Tonsmeyer, author of American Sour Beers, co-owner of Sapwood Cellars. Thanks again, guys. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Remember that you can get all the information about everything going on in the craft beer scene in the greater Washington, D.C. area at dcbeer.com. Follow us on all the social medias at DC Beer. And always drink great beer.